Hello, and welcome to the Arts Report for May 30th, 2012. Today on the Arts Report, I give you a couple of reviews of some shows I've seen lately. Hi, the newbies, too, and Headlines, Theater for Living Corporation in our heads. Path by Kate Armstrong, Machine Noisy, Law of Proximity, and A Simple Way by Kokoro Dance's Barbara Bourget. It's the Arts Report, your weekly fix of arts, news, reviews, interviews on CITR 101.9 FM and CITR.ca. Also, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at CITR Arts Report and like us on Facebook, The Arts Report on CITR. Another really cool thing that we're doing is I have started a Mixcloud account and we'll be actually be able to upload all the things I say I'm going to upload. And you can actually get to it right from our Facebook. So that's another great excuse to like us. And you'll know when we post new uh, interviews. For example, right now... I just uploaded our first extended interview um, on the new account is Michael Fraser being interviewed by new arts correspondent Michael Fraser for the In the House Festival. We're also going to have sports director interviewing um, sports director Jason interviewing um, another artist that will be at In the House Festival because there's so many and so many of my correspondents wanted to, um, you know, interview these great artists. So we'll have those for you later in the week. Now, uh, what did I do this week? What did you do this week? Send me your emails and um, your information at arts at citr.ca. What I did this week was uh, I saw Hive, the new bees, too, last Thursday, and Corporations in Our Heads by Theatre for Living uh, on Friday. Now, Hive, the new bees, too, uh, we talked about it last week, so that would have been the um, May 23rd edition. And Catherine is the producer. And she was very welcoming. It was a really fun event. I went with arts correspondent Ariel Fournier. And we talked uh, a little bit about it afterwards. And one of the things we agreed on was that there were some really cool parts. We actually disagreed on which parts we liked the best. But there were some really interesting events. We liked a lot of it. But it was hectic. You enter um, the... You enter the venue, uh, which was Chapel Arts in the downtown east side. And um, actually, even on the way in, there was an event going on across the street. There was a, a dance troupe. And they would kind of all look like these separate individuals who were wandering around on the street. And they came together for this dance event. And they did that over and over again. And there was another play going on in the courtyard as well. So those are actually free to witness. And it's really nice um, that the community can witness these things as often um, these kind of indie, young person arts events can be a little intimidating. And then you enter and there are people running about. You know, there are people writing on the walls. There are people calling for cast members. There are tours happening. Um, It was very hectic. We didn't hit everything that we wanted to, um, but there were little ways you could participate as well. Um, They had things up on the wall, one-word stories and um, collages that were happening, videos. And we saw the Chernobyl Opera, which was very dark and, like, weirdly decontextualized. I'm not really sure why they chose that subject matter, but um, really beautifully performed. We saw um, a short piece 
open house in directly in the morgue of this old funeral home, um, which was a little confusing, um, but interesting in terms of they were, I think, I believe the piece, I thought the piece was about um, time. There's these two characters that were obviously of different times that were inhabiting the space at the same time. And there was uh, one piece that we didn't get to, which involved this small young woman dressed up in this monster, little monster, creepy monster outfit running around the place. So we missed a lot. We saw a lot. Um, the one thing I would say is Hive the Newbies 2. If you decide to do this next year, Hive the Newbies 3. You have to, I mean, I understand what is supposed to be happening. You got the Hive, you got the bees, you got the newbies because they're new. That is a mouthful for a correspondent to say, I, ha- I have to tell you. Um, and I think that even the, ch- even the organizers didn't know exactly what was going to happen with each piece. So it was a little um, disorganized, I think. Um, and that was kind of nice in a way. But on the other hand, it made it really difficult to kind of jump in. So tour guides, I think, would be a lot more essential next year. Another event that I did was Corporation or Corporations in Our Heads, which is put on for by Headlines Theater Theater for Living with David Diamond. And it was an experience that was not necessarily a show, but rather more almost like a uh, theater workshop where you get to examine the role of corporations and more than specific corporations, like areas, corporate areas in your head the voices that you hear when you make decisions. And what I would say is that I went into it very excited, but also a little disconnected because I figured, you know, I've studied media for six years now and there's nothing that I I was interested in learning, but at the same time I did have this kind of pretentious view that I wasn't going to learn that much. But a lot of my assumptions were questioned. And I think more importantly, this is not an intellectual discussion they were having. It was a very visceral interaction with how we deal with corporate voices. And from what I understood, it was a little different every night. So if you went on the Thursday, the Saturday, the Sunday, please email me and let me know what it was like. I'd love to hear it, how different it was. Um, But David Diamond is a heck of a guy, and he almost immediately had our trust. He was very clear that this was an experiment and that it was something that they're hoping to develop and that we were part of that process. He asked us a lot of questions And one of the points of the whole event was that he would pick the moments where he said, freeze, and then we would investigate that moment. And until you saw him do it, until you really saw him interact with the expressions on on people's faces, you didn't think, how is he going to know the right moment? But he always did. And when he didn't, um, he would ask, you know, is this what's happening? So um, if you get a chance to participate in one of these events, even if you're not a um, gregarious person, you're welcome to just watch. You're not forced to do anything, but uh, is very unique and I think is one of the examples of where theater and the arts can be a really personal, intimate experience and a physical experience that is not just about sitting back and watching. It's about participating in one way or another. Uh, I also worked on a book review for Discorder's June issue, which we've just received at the studio two days early, and we'll be streeting on the first. And uh, for uh, Teresa McWhorter's Five Little Bitches, it's a novel about um, five punk girls, four of which 
for my band, and I did a quick review on that, so you can check that out online or a newsstand near you. And uh, it's a it's a really fun read, so if you do see it out and about, um, I would definitely check it out. Maybe maybe a library one. I mean, if you have unlimited funds. But this is this is, like this was a movie. I would say, oh, I really really enjoyed it, um, but I might not necessarily go to see it in theaters. I would wait, you know, to rent it, but I might still pay money for it. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, and then the other thing I did this uh, week was work on some interviews for the LGBTQ marathon we are going to have June 1st. Now, um, I have on the air between this uh, 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. on June 1st. That's this Friday. And the actual whole marathon runs from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. And Aiden Saint of Queer FM has spearheaded the initiative before he leaves for Hawaii. We'll miss him very much. But it's, uh, you know, it's the beginning of Pride season. It is um, a time for uh, celebrating um, queer arts and queer life in the city um, and to have some fun and to learn a little something. And my interviews include Alex Leslie, um, who I interviewed briefly before for People Who Disappear. And she was lovely enough to come back and talk a little bit more with me about the queer literary scene in Vancouver. I talked to an old professor of mine, Peter Dickinson, who um, teaches English at SFU, uh, specifically performance theory, and he is um, an amazing queer theater producer and participant about town. He's on the pushboard. He's just really involved in arts in general, especially arts in Vancouver, and he had some really interesting perspectives on um, arts and queer arts in Vancouver. And then I had a really fun, long, long interview um, and actually more of a discussion and fun meeting with Sad Mag. I work with them and they are super queer friendly, though they are not actually um, categorized, I guess, as a queer magazine. But they were a lot of fun to talk to about um, how they incorporate uh, queer values and, and, you know, queer profiles into their magazine. But also... um, you know, a lot of the participants um, range along that spectrum, so we got to talk about people's personal experiences. And um, I'm really excited. I had a lot of fun participating in this marathon, and so um, I hope you guys tune in. If you are not into the arts interviews, you can listen to the music. We're going to have a live broadcast from the Cobalt. Um, so um, I'm really excited about you guys tuning in for that, and we'll be podcasting everything, so if you are, for some reason, silly enough to miss it, you can uh, find it later. Now, um, in support, though I I don't know if I'll be airing it again on Friday, so you better listen up right now, but in support and promotion of this event, I talked to Dalek from Machine Noisy, which is a local dance initiative, um, about his upcoming show, Law of Proximity. And Law of Proximity is going to be um, put out uh, during the Queer Arts Festival from August 15th to 18th. And the reason I am promoting it so early is a awesome segue from the LGBTQ marathon, I think. And I don't think I'm going to have time for it in the two hours, so I wanted to make sure it gets played. But also, they are still looking for performers, youth specifically. Law of Proximity is actually a work that will be based on contact improvisation. And CI, as uh, Dalek calls it, is a dance technique developed about 20 years ago and used frequently in 
contemporary dance. And points of physical contact provide the starting point for the movements in, in this improvisation. Um, it requires no formal dance training. And so it was the perfect way to uh, for Machine Noisy, which is arts director uh, and performer Dalek and Dahlia Brett, um, who came together <coughs> excuse me, who came together in 2006 after about 10 years of working together. And they want to work with LGBTQ youth um, through a series of workshops and rehearsals in order to explore themes of intimacy and um, proximity, obviously. And it's a performance project that brings um, them together with Stev, uh, Stefan Smolovitz, which is a highly accomplished musician on the viola and laptop, and an award-winning composer. And I've attached a little bit of his music from a specific event um, at the 2010 Push Festival, a score for Passion of Joan Arc, silent film, as part of the interview, so you can hear a little bit. Um, and he um, is a software developer as well. So the reason they're working together, according to Dalek, is because um, they have a similar type of improv improvisational. I cannot say that word today, guys. What is up with that? Um, they have a certain style of improv, and they have a certain style of um, complexity and trying to push the limits of their art form. They thought they worked really well together. So Machine Noisy, um, through Law of Proximity, We'll be working with two other professional dancers and these queer youth, LGBTQ youth, um, around the themes of intimacy, proximity, and identity in a mix of choreographed and improvised dance. Now, stepping back a bit, um, Dalek told me that originally he had left Vancouver for Berlin because he wasn't finding what he wanted in Vancouver's dance scene. He soon realized, though, that if there's a void in the scene, obviously, you gotta fill it. No pun intended. And he wanted to come back and provide what he thought was missing, and Machine Noisy is his answer. Um, and through um, Law of Proximity and the contact improvisation technique, he's actually you know, being able to give back to his community. So um, it's a lot of context, but I actually talked to him directly. I can give you his own words about their upcoming project, part of the, the Queer Arts Festival. Um, and we ta he talked about how... Um, while improvisation and collaboration is not new to Machine Noisy in terms of working with these youth, actually working with youth really is, and it was particularly inspired, um, inspiring for him. Um, so I will, uh, without further ado, please listen to Dalek and I talk about the upcoming um, Law of Proximity project in August. And when we come back, I will give you a, a few more points about how you can get involved, or if you know an LGBTQ youth or an organization that needs to know about this, then I will give you um, a few points of information that you will need to know. So, uh, yeah, please enjoy um, my talk with uh, Dalek and uh, some of the music of um, Stefan. The focus of the company is to make uh, interdisciplinary dance work, so we, we really like to blur the lines of what is considered dance. We're both very interested in theatre, we're both very interested in visual art, we're very interested in collaborating with other artists, and so the, the focus for our, 
of our company has been to create dance that we feel pushes the boundaries of, of what is dance. How are you doing that with this show, Law of Proximity? We've been talking for a while about doing something with gay youth. I'm gay, so I, I felt a need or a desire to be a mentor to youth because I felt that, especially around the uh, this period in time where there's so much emphasis on identity and there's been so much publicity around bullying and some teen suicide, I just felt it was important to create uh, a situation where we could mentor youth and we could show them that there are ways to express themselves, to get their ideas out, to interact with other peers, and, uh, and, and to communicate. And that's really what the piece is about. It's about communication. And part of the process, we, we realized that um, we probably wouldn't find a bunch of trained dancers who were between 16 and 24, so we thought, well, that's not going to be important to us. What's important is to actually uh, use our skills as dance makers and as, as uh, creators to create a piece with people using the skills that they bring into the project. Every morning before rehearsal, we'll be doing a, a, an hour and a half dance class with them uh, in contact improvisation, which Delia and I have both um, studied extensively. And it's a very, it's a, it's a form that doesn't actually require you to have any kind of dance training to, to even begin learning it. It's, it's a very open form that's, that's taught around the world to both dancers and non-dancers alike. So. How did the fact that you're training these eight youth um, in contact improvisation change the process of putting together a show for you? I think the thing that's interesting and probably challenging is um, working with youth in general. I, I mean... I'm 47 years old, so it's been a long time since I was a youth. Mm-hmm. Um, Delia has a teenage son, so I think she's a little bit more familiar with the youth culture. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to just get them together. We want to work with their personalities. We want to work with the issues that they want to work with. Obviously, we can't expect them to have the same training and the same discipline that we've put in because we've been working for the last 15, 20 years as performers. But we want to kind of draw from their personal experiences and the personal perspectives and their youth, their, their enthusiasm in, in to make a, into making a performance. Any particular surprises, uh, delights, challenges so far in the process? I think we were a bit concerned that we wouldn't find even eight performers, um, but we had a couple of meetings so far and we've been getting a really great response and, a, and a, a, for me a very mature response to, the, to the, the process and the prospects of this work. So to me that was really exciting uh, to meet a bunch of young people who, who are really proactive about, about um, approaching the challenges that, uh, that we're offering uh, around performance and around creation of art. What is the law of proximity that's at the center of the piece? As contact improvisers, everything is about proximity. It's about it's about physical interactivity. And so the original idea was to create an interactive set or a stage that, in which the proximity of the dancers would trigger light and sound. And so it, that that basically plays on Newton's fourth law of proximity in which every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And so that's where we took the title from. And at the same time, that uh, physical interactivity and touch is a very volatile thing for youth, and especially gay youth. And so it all seemed to tie in together, this idea of, of what, does, what does 
being in proximity to another person mean? There is a societal pressure as to what is normal interaction with your body and with other people's bodies. And I'm sure a lot of uh, youth along the queer spectrum, they may not find that experience in kind of the status quo. It may not work for them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's it exactly. I think that when you're a teenager, when you're a youth, um, you're just discovering who you are, you're discovering your sexuality. For, say, the, in quotes, normal youth, the male-female interactivity and, and touching is always really kind of exciting and scary. And so I think as a gay youth, it's it's doubly so because it's not only is it you're discovering your sexuality, but you're also discovering a sexuality that's considered by a lot of society to be wrong. There's like a double pressure on it. The idea of touch, uh, especially through contact and proposition, is all about communication and trust and self-discovery um, and self-confidence. It seems like this show is really um, centered on the youth that will be participating and their experiences, showcasing how dance can be accessed by people who aren't trained dancers. But in terms of what people are actually going to see when they join you, maybe set the scene a little bit for us when people um, enter the show? Actually, I, don't, I, I can't predict what we're going to do. Oh, okay. I, I think that we make we make very theatrical work, so we... In a lot of cases, we are just people on stage interacting, and I think there'll be humor involved. We're a serious company, but we do really like to interact with humor in our serious work. And there's a cross-section. There's a, there's a person who has some clown training. There's somebody who's got some African dance training. There's somebody who's a cheerleader. These are all people who have expressed interest in what we're doing. And so I think we want to kind of draw from, from their training and draw from what they would like to express about the ideas that we come up with we're, we're, we're going to create the content of the show from a series of discussions with the youth so it'll be very much driven by what they want to express It sounds pretty haunting that music and I think that they'll probably touch on the aspects of intimacy and connection that are scary uh, but it sounds like the they'll really uh, also connect with the um, various you know hum- humorous and and uh, light-hearted aspects of, of growing up so uh, that that looks really interesting and as I mentioned it'll be part of the the queer arts festival in August again why I chose to start so early uh, with previewing this event and I'm hoping I'm hoping that you don't forget, is that they are still looking for their eight youth, approximately 16 to 24 years old, who are self-identified as queer, be that gay, lesbian, bi, transgendered, questioning, anything on that spectrum. The project will be youth-driven. So as he mentions, the content will be created from a series of discussions with the youth group, particularly around issues of identity, um, trust, self-respect, self-confidence, and touch. The youth will then participate in the creation of the performance along with machine noisy artistic directors Dalek and Delia and two other professional dancers. So no previous dance training is necessary and the discussion groups will take place at Community, um, which is 1170 Butte on June 10th, June 17th and June 24th from 2 to 5 p.m. Everyone's welcome in the discussions, even if you're not necessarily going to be one of the dancers. And the project dates are from July 9th to August 18th. So they'll be doing the discussions before the rehearsals. 
So if you are interested in participating in any way, please info, um, please email info at machinenoisy.com or info them. That's a new thing that I'm going to start saying. Um, participants will be paid, paid, you guys, to rehearse and perform. Um, and the performance will take place at the dance center um, from the 15th to the 18th. So you can purchase tickets uh, at brownpavetickets.com and please do email them if you know anyone or if you are interested in participating. We're going to take a break and when we get back, um, we are going to talk a little bit about Path by Kate Armstrong, which we introduced a couple weeks ago. And I will give you the interview that I had with her at the Unit Pit Project. annual showcase that celebrates queer arts and artists. The festival features a curated visual arts exhibit, a community art show, and three dynamic weeks of cutting-edge performances and workshops from all artistic disciplines, including music, dance, theatre, literary, and media art. This year's theme is Random Acts of Queerness. The festival runs July 31st to August 18th. For more info, visit QueerArtsFestival.com. Sponsored by CITR 101.9 FM. Winnie Cooper presents the Thursday Concert Series at 560. With one of the biggest video walls in North America, 560 is quickly becoming one of the nicest venues Vancouver has to offer. It currently houses four floors, each presenting you with a different musical vibe. In the coming months, the Thursday Concert Series will showcase some of the biggest local and international acts to hit town. The Thursday Concert Series at 560 Club, located at 560 Seymour Street in Vancouver, BC. Presented by Winnie Cooper. And we are back. Guess who's in the studio? It's Ariel. Hey! I just wanted to thank you, Ariel, for bringing me a cookie earlier. It made the show a lot better for everyone at home, even if they don't know it. Ariel's going to be filling in for me on the 13th when I will be away at the National Community Radio Conference. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm so excited. We're going to be in Kingston for over a week. And um, so I have a couple of things put together. Ariel's going to take care of the rest. Uh, I'm very excited to see what she does with it. Um, And then on the 20th, I'm attempting to put together an hour of interviews with a couple of uh, Aboriginal artists and Aboriginal arts um, organizations because it's um, it's National Aboriginal History Day on the 21st of yeah, June. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. And you know I love my cultural themes. Yeah, no, themes are great. Themes it, are so good. Like, it really is a lot of fun to try and get a bunch of different ver- uh, varieties around uh, a single theme. Did you ever have professors that did that? Sometimes I had teachers who were like, the theme of this class is the ocean like in addition that doesn't to make any sense. Like in addition to to whatever they were teaching, like they'd be like algebra. The, yeah, they'd be like it'd be algebra of the ocean. That sounds that was like you had initiative. way better teachers than I. They did. were they were a creative bunch. Yeah. Um, speaking of creative, hey, um, I would like to talk to you guys a little bit more about the 
about the PATH project um, that is running until June 9th at Unit Pit Projects on uh, 15 East Pender Street, Vancouver. Um, this actually used to be the Helen Pitt Gallery, um, but they updated um, as they wanted to kind of more thoroughly represent what they did there, which is not just art, um, but the idea of art in space. And they do public action, publishing, electronic stuff, media... Um, it's, it's a really dynamic, interesting place and it's teeny tiny. It's one teeny tiny room on East Pender, but I actually visited, uh, this teeny tiny place, which is all stark and white right now, um, to talk to Kate Armstrong about PATH. Now, PATH is a 12 volume book generated by the physical movement of an anonymous individual living in Montreal between 2005 and 2007. It's co-published by the Unit Pit and uh, Publication Studio, which you can learn more about at publicationstudio.biz. They hand make books um, in kind of relationship to events and to certain themes. And you can actually purchase a copy of this 12 volume 7,000 word uh, no sorry 7,000 page book um, with also the audio um, which sounds a little bit like this path volume one a generative book work in 12 volumes Kate Armstrong else it would never be possible for them to be together here so interesting. Um, you can listen to that actually uh, 24 hours a day at the Unit Pit Gallery if you if you visit them during office hours um, and you get the edition with it when you buy it. But they actually hand make it for you when you purchase it, um, if you purchase it. But hey, go check it out for free. Um, and this book basically was made by each time an individual... Uh, access the internet using public Wi-Fi over the course of the two-year period. They were tagged with a specific to-the-place textual passage that had already been written by Kate. Uh, and it explores the themes of like visual, personal, and spatial patterns, uh, social networking. Do they know what, what sites you're on? Um, <laughs> no, so what they did was they set up... Uh, Ariel just asked if they knew which sites they were on. So she explains actually that this is like... Uh, Path was a a a stage in a number of projects and one of the things that they, she has done in working with Wi-Fi networks was she had used this already and people would like sign up for the process and so over time she narrowed it down to one individual but um, it's more when you sign in to Wi-Fi at certain places yeah um, maybe so it's but, not it's not like there's not like a drop pin that's like da 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 was looking up porn at the UBC no cafeteria. <laughs> Um, though we all do that. But yeah. no, it was, um, she pre-wrote these, um, you know, 75 uh, passages, fragments, textual fragments involving different characters. And then it has produced what is actually a fictional work uh, that you can follow and read. And I have, I looked through it while I was there. And there's repetition and stuff. But if you read it linearly, it does, uh, it does tell this story. Um, and if you... And it's, it's kind of like a code, actually, because if you knew which fragment was associated with which place, you could actually follow this person through their date. So it is, um, you know, comments on anonymity, privacy, social networking, information. Um, but you know what? Why don't we let her, Kate Armstrong, a Vancouver-based writer, artist, and independent curator. I'm sorry. I totally misunderstood. You're tapping into it. It's not tapping yes. into you. I think that's where I got mixed up where or I was like... isn't it? Oh, 
Hey-o. Maybe I'll find out. Maybe you will. Um, and uh, they are, and that'll be at the uh, pit gallery until, or the unit pit projects until um, the ninth. So we'll talk to uh, we'll talk to Kate a little bit about um, what path really was, and I guess uh, we talked about a bunch of themes, um, including the spaced video which uh, I will talk a little bit about after she introduces it. Um, But I started out basically asking her, how did this book get made? It didn't matter how long he thought about it. Limitation makes life... The book, it's a generative book. So it was written as a series of fragments and then recombined by the movement of of an individual when they were like living and working in the city of of Montreal over two years. Mm -hmm. Can you give us, um, I kind of have an idea of what generative, but I'd love to have your definition of, of what that approach is. We actually have some generative, we have a generative music show that's starting at CITR. Oh, nice. So I'd love to get your take on, on that kind of format. I think of it as a rule-based system or some kind of system that you, that you design and then it runs okay. so that you have control on, in a different kind of way. You, you have control over the format, but not really the output. I wrote all of the text in this piece, but at the same time, once it is sort of turned on and runs, it creates something that is of a different magnitude than the thing that I've directly written. The reason it's interesting to me is that it's about pattern. The text itself is about pattern. It's about the idea that people have different kinds of um, experiences of pattern in the, in the city, like personal behave, behavioral, spatial, sort of geographical patterns, like, and that the way they use the city comes to connect to, to pattern in a certain way. It was about putting a, like a book form to a living process, to the movement of, of somebody when they're, when they're out and, and about, so that their, their, their life is intertwined with the way this book is, is, is written. And there are a couple of themes I thought I'd ask you about. The first is anonymity. Obviously, you're tracking a person, right? So the opposite of anonymity being, you know, the opposite of privacy. So I'm wondering if you could expand a little bit on those themes and why they were interesting to you. Mm. This project was originally made in connection with an exhibition uh, in Turkey, in Istanbul, um, called Unrecorded. And the idea there was to look at the different ways that you see anonymity and privacy uh, in tension with each other. What I find interesting about those themes for this project is that it's an exact, on one level, it's an exact map of this movement, and on the other level, since it's, it's, um, being ex- this movement is being expressed in fiction, it, it tells you also absolutely nothing about this person and, and what their patterns actually were. So it's another way of looking at, um, at the, the patterns um, of, of life and the, the way that they are changing in relation to technology and, and, and the networked world. And by movement, it was any time they logged into something that could be tracked by the internet, yes? Yes. So was there any kind of connection between the type or the piece of text and their movement? If so, then it's kind of like a code. And if not, then the randomness, that's something different as well. So I, I just wanted to know if that was um, part of the process. There's this, this project has had a number of phases. The very beginning of this project came about when I was working with an organization in Montreal called Ile Sans Fil. Mm-hmm. And their project was to build a public wireless system over the city of Montreal so that you could always you know, log in um, for mm-hmm. free. So it was a community project 
data and free access and, and sort of getting around the more proprietary softwares like that 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 charge you for that access. And this was also a few years ago when that was that was a little bit new. Mm-hmm. It was one of the, the earlier initiatives to, to make that kind of a community wireless system. So they actually invited me to to make something using the network that was exploring the, the network as a medium. You're watching a person move and it's definitely happening but you're not sure how and it's just information. There's no context or for you to understand the information. Does that connect then with the idea of this information being just everywhere and how people relate to it in the internet age? Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's I think it's interesting too like the to think about the role of fiction. I really wanted to do this sort of mindfully using fiction as a a mode because it, it, it is a fictional story. There there are characters and um, they connect to this real person but it's intertwined in a different way than it would be in a, a normal a normal fictional uh, book. They could either go through the book in a way that was, you know, investigative, or they could read it in a linear fashion. Yeah, and there's something interesting as well to me about the the way that that movement and life is very non-linear, and yet you can col- collect that information and pull it into an, an, uh, a linear form, this profoundly linear form. That, that is these sequential books and that, that, that are uniform in size and that have taken all of that activity and experience and put them into a single line and published it in a very, almost a very traditional format. So there was, there's, I've been interested in, in, in the way that print and networked culture intersect. And so this is, this is a way, it's a certain kind of way of, of investigating that. Um, so space, so space video is something that is separate from Path, but related. Space videos is a project that takes a generative approach to 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 story. So it has a certain relation. Space video pulls in videos from from YouTube that match a certain set of keywords, um, mostly relating to things like hypnosis, um, motivational speaking. Um, under, undersea exploration, science experiments, science fiction. There's this kind of range of subjects that are actually extremely diverse, but that come up with a, a really similar aesthetic. I think it's interesting to think about perpetual forms and the way that networked culture invites a different relationship to to beginning and end. It's It's ongoing completely. The Space Video Project is uh, it's in place now and it will run forever and it will never have the same material in it. It's both a singular form and a, a way that, that it has to react to, to dynamic information that's, that mm-hmm. culture is producing. Our voices seem cool and mechanical. Limitation makes life comprehensible. Without it, he felt nothing. Caught in the still so that was Kate Armstrong. Moment talking about um, PATH at the Unit Pit Projects and Ariel, are you are you like fully understanding of what is happening now? Because you're asking me some questions. (laughs) 
doing the thing. I think I got it. It's just very hard to to picture the, the how the concept came about when the, yeah. having it described to you. Like I think going to the exhibit, I think would be really really definitely do interesting. You can flip through the book yeah. and you can read it. Um, you can listen. Uh, you can watch watch the space project. Uh, Video. It's actually being projected on the outer wall of the gallery um, next door um, all night. And what she talked a little bit in the uh, actual interview there, but um, she mentioned a few of the keywords. Here are some of the keywords. She mentioned meditation, hypnosis, undersea and space exploration, motivational speaking, PowerPoint backgrounds, science fiction, psychedelic drug culture, um, computer effects and popular spirituality like the double meaning of space exploration and we have a built and said we've built a generative system that mixes the original non-linear narrative with youtube videos on these subjects um the videos often attempt to portray what are ultimately non-visual spaces projecting images that are at once placeholders images of the transcendental trippy intergalactic stereotypes and fields of persuasion that's actually um Michael Tippett, uh, who has won some uh, not Emmys. No, she's nominated for some Emmys, and he's been recognized as an international expert on emerging media models. So, yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. I really like that gallery, and they do, like, kind of an exhibition a month plus mm-hmm. other events. So it'll be going on until June 9th. And I actually I really, really enjoyed speaking to her. And I like the idea of a new field for books as well because – she really was invested in the book form, but at the same time, it's got all these connections to social media and, and new media, and the idea of hand making something is such a lost art. So it's uh, it's it, it's really cool and it's multi layered. But even just the fact that it's such a weird, cool long term project, even if you don't aren't interested in any of the other stuff I talked about, just go look at this book. It's 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 like if Proust had a couple more years <laughs> to do it. We are going to take uh, another brief break. Um, first, I'm going to uh, remind you um, what's coming up next. Our last interview is uh, with Barbara Bourget from Kokoro Dance about A Simple Way. Um, I actually have interviewed someone from Kokoro Dance, uh, Jay Hirabashi and his son Joseph, um, but unfortunately the audio was not great, so we weren't able to air it. So I was glad to get a chance to talk to um, the other half of Kokoro Dance, Barbara, also working with Joseph Hirabashi. Um, you'll hear him a little bit. And uh, they'll talk about A Simple Way, which is a new solo work um, co-presented by Kokoro Dance and the Dance Center um, on June 7th, 8th, and 9th. So we'll take a brief break, uh, and when we get back, we will talk a little bit about dance. On Friday, June 1st, for 24 hours, CITR is going to paint the airwaves rainbow. Starting at 6 a.m., CITR programmers will be producing an entire day of queer content in celebration of Pride season around the world, delivering messages of hope, fun, warning, and whimsy that may also include offensive language, sexual themes, and excessive on-air nudity. Listener discretion is advised, while indiscretions are strongly encouraged. Winners Tedeschi Trucks Band brings their blues inspired show to the Vancouver Center for Performing Arts for one night. 
June 19th. Tickets on sale at Ticketmaster.ca or by calling 855-985-5000. Don't miss Tedeschi Trucks Band on June 19th at the Vancouver Centre for Performing Arts. For more information, go to TedeschiTrucks.com. Well, I came to the city. I was running from And we're back. Um, hey. hey. Um, one more thing I forgot to mention about that last piece is actually that, um, we do have a generative, if you find that interesting, if you find the process of generative art interesting, we actually, after Randophonic with, uh, Mr. Mullen, we have uh, the absolute value of insomnia, which is rather than eclectic like randophonic, uh, is, is generative. They set it up. They have music and computer stuff programmed, and and people can actually submit to the show. Um, so look that up on chr.ca, and it's Saturdays from two to five, I believe, or two through five, so two to six actually. So a simple way with Barbara Bourget. It's nice. It has a nice ring to it. Mm-hmm. Barbara Bourget uh, is part of Kokoro Dance, and this is her first solo work, though she has done solos before. Um, and it's actually um, presented by the Artist in Residence program at the Dance Center, which she was a part of. Um, it's on the 7th, 8th, and 9th at 8 p.m. And if you'd like to go on the 8th, there is a post-show artist talk back. So if you didn't learn everything you possibly needed to know from my interview, which I cannot imagine what you would possibly miss, um, you can go and you can hear a little bit more. It's $28, 20 bucks for students and seniors. I tickets tonight. This show includes nudity. Oh, good. Yeah, it's really good. And it's uh, herself and... Much like this show. Yeah, you guys can't see it. Um, much. Uh, so she's going to be dancing on her own, and then uh, Joseph Hirabashi of the SSRIs and Aunts and Uncles friend of CITR, um, he will be providing uh, music on a beautiful grand piano. Actually, I saw him. He opened uh, for that dance show, for the for the dance festival that... Yeah, yeah Rock My Body. To. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's really, really, really interesting yeah. and yeah. a great performer. Yeah, and um, this is their, her first solo work since she won the Mayor's... Oh, no, her first work at all since being awarded the Mayor's Arts Award for Dance in 2011. So this is this is no light dancer um kokoro dance performs buto um which is uh she will be performing uh, that style as well as other styles um and it's just to remind you it uh, from the last time that we talked about something like this it typically involves playful and grotesque imagery taboo topics and is traditionally uh provi- performed in white body makeup with super hyper controlled motion um and it is um, inspired by Ankoku Buto movement, um, which is a Japanese style of contemporary dance. Now, this particular uh, event will embody the concepts of yugen, profound, mysterious sense of beauty in the universe, and the sad beauty of human suffering. And wabi-sabi. Tran- oh, I love wabi-sabi. Transient and stark beauty of natural patina and aging. And and it's basically her career in dance. It's a it's just under an hour, um, and it's also inspired by um, some poetry and that she loves and her son, and it just features this really intensity um, that is uh, you know her trademark. So we talked about the piece, how it was conceived, how she and Joseph worked together, and aging as a dancer, which is something that we don't actually get like we don't talk about people who are older 
in art very often, or we don't talk about it specifically. Um, and so we talk about that, and then we conclude back at her interpretation of the concepts of Yugen and Wabi Sabi. Right on. Let's do this. And the piece is called A Simple Way, and it really has come out of my lifetime experience as a dance artist. When I was in Japan with my husband Jay in the fall of 2009, I was really moved by, we went to a couple of performances at um, a Buto festival in Japan, and I was really moved by the uh, older artists who were perf- who had been performing for many years and who were now drawing on that long history of performance and creation and inspiration to create work, still creating work. And that's kind of how Jay and I work, that, you know, we've we're lifers in the art if you will so there isn't much choice for us now i mean we not you know we've kind of missed the boat on lots of things like brain surgery and that kind of stuff so we are looking for ways to always reinvent ourselves as artists so i decided i would do a solo piece which i have never really done a full-length solo work but i've done a lot of solos Mm -hmm. but i haven't actually put them all together in this kind of format and Jay suggested that I work with Joseph. Because obviously your son is a pretty big part of your life and your art and the things and feelings you would want to express. Exactly. I mean, he uh, he came to the process. I, I was thinking about it the other day, and I was thinking it was like when I took him for swimming lessons. And, you know, sometimes you the kids just kind of get thrown into the deep end of the pool, and that's kind of how this process has felt. He he has written a lot of music, of course, because he's with the SSRIs and he has another band called the Aunts and Uncles. Mm-hmm. But this is a different process. He he should probably talk about that. Well, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask what exactly the collaboration looks like. Joseph, do you want to speak to that a little bit? And I decided that it would be interesting to try and do a solo piano work. I was given piano lessons as a kid, and piano has been like something that's been a major part of my upbringing. So I thought it would be kind of nice to have that be a main element, although that's not usually... The thing I do, like I haven't written as much solo piano work or really any <laughs> actually as I have in as I have in this piece. Barbara, did you have a direction or a set of expressions that you wanted to incorporate into this piece, or have you been developing it like as part of the process? This piece is an expression of my life as a dance artist, the struggles the failures, the successes. Because when you're a performing artist, you you only, uh, especially in dance, I think, it's only the moment that it's seen uh, that it exists in time and space. So it's, it's quite ephemeral and it's quite hard. Um, it's beautiful for that reason because everybody thinks, remembers it differently. And But I had many things, I have many deep, uh, sensations about what it's like to be an artist and how to bring that forward. So it's, it's, and it's about um, my children, my parents, my life, my, you know, everything that's happened to me. I think is contained in this work. It's a short work. Don't get scared, everybody. <laughs> it's fifty, about fifty-four minutes, but it, I, th- it's deeply felt by myself and. Um, I wanted to look back at some of the work that I have done and bring that forward. It's uniquely my own expression, I would say. 
Kokoro dance has, is Buto based. Now, would you call your solo Buto as well, or would you uh, say there are other styles incorporated? Give us a little taste of the the things we'll be seeing. I would say yes, it's uh, Buto because that's been my exploration with Jay in Kokoro dance for the last twenty six years. But but it's also my ballet person. It's also my tap dancing child person. It's also my old lady person. It's also all the things that I have done, my showbiz, you know, the musical theater. Because to be an artist, um, one has to do a lot of different things to kind of keep the juices flowing and also to survive in the art form. You've mentioned a couple of times the experience of growing older so I'd love to learn a little bit more about the experience of as you said committing to dance for the long haul I'm I'm very proud to be 61 and still performing the thing is that we are really athletes and you do suffer I mean you get you know I've had a hip replacement uh, and I have arthritis and but the the thing is I'm an adrenaline junkie and you get used to that high performance you peak you push your body to such extremes and then you get the endorphins and as you get older the endorphins are really important because it's painful to age not just if you dance mm-hmm. and and you, your body does deteriorate but the spirit you see it's the spirit that is the significant thing here because that's what shines through and it, there is something to it's like aged wine it gets better with age and it's the expression not so much I can't kick my legs like uh, I could when I was even 10 years ago but I have I think I'm it's deeper my expression now because of my experience and because you carry it in your body and you carry lots of things forward in time if you keep doing and and practice of course is what keeps you in it uh, you can't go weeks. I can't even go three days now without doing something physical because you get too stiff. The concepts of, uh, and you can, Yugen and Wabi Sabi. Yeah. Could you maybe give us a few words on those? The impetus to make this piece came when I, when Jay and I were in Japan in the fall of 2009. And what's incredible about Japanese culture is this uh, amazing aesthetic value they put on beauty and the it's like you are aware of the aging process in Japan, but there's a reverence towards everything. Culture is so simple and beautiful on the on the on the outside, yet there's all this complication with these ideas of how how do they sit within the society. So I wanted to somehow express that simplicity and that beauty and that sadness because there is a certain sadness to aging that uh, we all face, you know, the loss of agility, uh, you know, as it it says in one of my poems, the time that has passed, the time that I've lived on earth is certainly longer than the time I have left, right? And while that, people go, don't say that, but it's true, right? And so, but there's a beauty to that too, that you, that you can bring. It was really, really nice talking to Barbara and... One of the things that I really did want to include in that interview was about how 
you know, aging affects art and people who really live art all the way through. You know, you commit to something like that and uh, you use your body so thoroughly. And then um, as you get older, it's not like there is a fallback or another profession that they can get into. Um, you heard a little bit from Joseph there as well. I am going to post later this week um, and I will post it on Facebook. So make sure you like us on Facebook so you know what's going on. Um uh, we'll post a slightly edited version on our new Mixcloud account, mixcloud.com slash artsreport underscore CITR. And uh, this will be a great where we'll start uploading our extended stuff. I cannot not talk to an interesting person. Like we have about half an hour's worth of talk um, about how they developed their um, process how they developed, um, you know, the themes and, and how it was working mother and son. And, and there's some really cute, funny moments. Um, so that is going to be June 7th, 8th and 9th at 8 o'clock p.m. And at the Scotia Bank Center, 677 Davie Street. Tickets are 28 bucks or 20 bucks if you're student or seniors. And you can check it out at ticketsnight.ca. Um, and just go to kokoro.ca uh, and, um, you know, you can learn more about kind of what they do. The other thing that uh, she asked me to mention was that on June 18th to July 2nd, it will be the 17th annual Rec Beach Buto Workshop. And you can check this out online. There's tons of video on YouTube. Um, but Rec Beach Buto has been performed annually for 16 years. And um, it's, you know, it's not just a, a performance, but it's a, you know, a test of stamina. Um, you participants go through a workshop, a two-week-long Buto performance workshop. It's open to anyone um, if, you ha- if you're willing to work. Apparently, it's really physically demanding. Um, and then you have studio rehearsals. And then the performances will be on July 1st and 2nd. In the nude, rain or shine. Um, if you've ever seen the videos, they are they like are emerging from the sand, and it's about birth and rebirth, and it is beautiful. Um, there are some costs involved, um, so it is quite the undertaking. But it 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 um, I don't know. It looks like a really intense experience. I don't know if it's necessarily for me, um, but uh, you can get the schedule and everything online. So if you're interested, uh, just go to recbeach.org for more information about Rec Beach and about what it's like there. And then you can go to kokoro.com, and, uh, sorry, .ca, and you can find more information and download the registration form. We're almost out of time. Oh, no. It's pretty sad, but... What's not sad is that I got through all my interviews this week. One thing I didn't do, actually, um, was review uh, Yang Fudan, which is on uh, at the uh, Vancouver Art Gallery right now. And uh, I have a bit of review for it and about the tour that I took. But I left all my notes at home. Okay. I wanted to get it in for okay. the last day. So you're just teasing us. I'm just teasing you. But I did say last week I was going to do it. And now I'm going to tease you again. And I'm going to do it next week. I'm going to post some pictures um, online as well. It'll make it that much more intense next time. I know. Um, I have a couple of quick announcements of some fun stuff that's happening up, uh, coming up. Um, First of all, um, Little Mountain Gallery, uh, Thought Control, J.G. Mayer, um, is happening for another day. It's open until tomorrow. It's free. It's open to the public from 4 to 8. Um, and uh, on weekdays and noon to eight on weekends. And it's local mixed media artist J.G. Mayer brings uh, sculptural works to Little Mountain Gallery. So it talks about language and advertising and media and text and signage. So that looks really cool. And then um, another event that's coming up 
uh, is the Camera Whore, it's called. And it's actually looking for visual media and performance artists to participate in a one-night evening event, July 14th. The submission deadline is June 21st. And Camera Whore focuses on creating an open space for new media art involving interactive installations. Um, and it's a name appropriated from the internet. So, um, you know, when people are, like, obsessed with putting themselves on camera and we're like, they'll drop everything and, and they'll do everything for the camera, um, that's where that name comes from. Uh, it's internet slang. And it's also a slash in there as well. So uh, to talk about, like, separation, it's very heady. But like, I just wanted to mention it's it. It's camera slash four? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, it's all very heady, but what I... Um, I do like to spread the attention of uh, places that people can get involved in their arts community. Cause so this is a way, um, if you're interested in that type of thing, um, go to camerahorror.me, um, June 21st, 2012. There's, I really apologize for saying Do you judge so people times. for being camera slash whores? Or camera Do I horse? judge them for it? Like, um, maybe I should learn a little bit more via this exhibition. No, I think I do. Um, but I think one of the things... Um, I I don't know what they're actually gonna like. Yeah. Like look at it's doing an this thing, but it, you yeah. Know, Andy Warhol did those videos where he just had people sit in front of a camera for seven minutes, and it, they're really really compelling to watch because mm-hmm. people just after at a certain point just have no idea what to do with themselves. And then there's that whole like um, cinema verite tradition of documentary where. Um, you kind of accept the fact that being in front of a camera changes how people are, or in yeah. front of a microphone, or in, t- in front of yeah, any type of media. You can't just be the the fly on the wall. You you're by necessity changing the circumstance. No, I think it's a it's a it's an interesting concept for for an exhibition. We can talk about Absolutely. the Heisenberg principle a little bit too, in terms of by observing something, you change it. It's, oh, it's just rife with like lots of interesting <laughs> things. So um, if you're an artist and you're listening to the arts report, and also I apologize for saying horse many times, but it's in context, so I don't want... I mean, yeah, you, I think you I repeated complain, it a but, few times, too. I was um, sort, of, sort of goading you there. Yeah, and so uh, the In the House Festival is coming up June 1st to 3rd. Real Wheels is tonight, and Animatron is June 2nd. So if you're wondering when any of those are, check out last week's show. And that's it. That's the whole day. Um, one more event um, is this really cool thing called the Complaints Choir. And uh, it's on Saturday, June 2nd. It's a free outdoor event. And uh, it's from Vancouver New Music. And I will leave you um, with uh, an ad for the Complaints Choir. Um, all new complaints from money woes to condos, bad government, and bad habits. Um, these guys sing about what you hate. So please... Check it out. Join us for Vancouver's third annual Complaints Choir. In this hilarious community project, participants sing in a litany of complaints from money woes to condos, bad government to bad habits. Come out on Sunday, June the 2nd to this free outdoor event. Take